This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by HostGator.com. Do you need to launch your own website? If you're looking for one of the easiest ways to register, host, and build your site, you should check out HostGator.com. They have tools to help you get started immediately, whether you're transferring a domain or building your site from scratch. So, you know, all you fans who want to open up, here's a look at my robotguts.com or drcorbyforever.net or kenissecretlyarobot.org. You can just head over to HostGator.com and have that up before we're done with today's episode. Speaking of DrCorbyForever.net, a .net address is the best way to get a good domain name these days. Grab your .net today. It gets better, though. HostGator has 24-7 tech support on the phone, live chat, or email, and you can choose from shared or dedicated servers. All that plus packages that include unlimited storage and unlimited bandwidth. Order now with the coupon code MISSIONLOG, and you'll get 30% off at HostGator.com. Now entering Nerdist.com. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 68, Elon of Troyes. Greetings, your glory. Welcome to Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm Sean Champion, you, you green. Pigs. Uh-oh. Somebody needs a spanking. Young man, I'm going to put you across my knee. But first, why don't you tell people what we do here? <laughs> okay, I'll tell people what we do here. Each week on Mission Log, we take apart an episode of Star Trek, uh, try to figure out the mor- messages, morals, and meanings inherent in the episode, and uh, whether or not the whole thing stands the test of time. This week, we say hello to Elan of Troyes. And write to us, if you dare. We don't care. You can contact us on Facebook, Skype, Twitter. The handle is Mission Log Pod. Or you can call us at 323-522-5641. You can even email us at missionlog at roddenberry.com. Remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log Pigs. Now, now seriously, you are going to start being nice at some point during this episode, right? <sighs> All right. Got it out of your system? All right. Okay, Okay. I got it out of my... All right, I'm ready. I'm back. Good, yeah. I'm friendly John again. Because I really did not want to spank you. (laughs) I really did not want you to do that. Yeah, no. I don't think there's anybody... eh, There might be some fan fiction about it, but mostly... (laughs) (laughs) Mostly nobody wants that. I'm I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. You know what people do want, though? They they, they crave it. They they, they get to this part of the show and they're thinking they, they haven't done it yet. They haven't done it yet. It's trivia. Yeah, they're salivating like they're after a piece of green chicken. Like they're after a piece of green uh, chicken. Yeah, (laughs) so they're they're ready for the trivia. So as you mentioned today, we're talking about the episode Elan of Troyes. It was written and directed by John Meredith Lucas. Does that seem a little strange to you at all, that title written and directed by? Uh, Should it? Well, yeah, it's the only episode of the original series that is written and directed by the very same person. Really? So, yeah, yeah. Now, he based it on, uh, of course, the Helen of Troy story. In fact, the working title was Helen of Troyus, as well as The Taming of the Shrew. And I think that you and I will probably have a lot to point out about that when we get to our notes later in the episode. Um, 
Hey, uh, by the way, the uh, the costumes that the guards are wearing, do they kind of look like placemats to you? Because, Ken, I'm here to tell you that they are. They are indeed plastic placemats. Um, they were the, not. They were, they were indeed off-the-shelf plastic orange placemats that were cut up and made into costumes by Bill Tice and his crew. Um, although, you know, there, there's kind of a happy ending for that. When uh, one of those costumes went up for auction, it fetched, I believe, over $900. Uh, so save your placemats, folks. And if you make them into a costume one day, they will be worth a fortune. Um, Famously, this episode has a very large uh, filmed but deleted scene uh, that took place in the rec room, which we've only seen a little bit of, particularly in uh, And the Children Shall Lead. We got a good shot of it there. And it's kind of interesting. It takes place right between the scene where uh, Kirk has taken the stabbed Petri into the into sickbay and before he confronts Elan in her quarters. Um, so he's walking down the hall with Ahura. They stop in the uh, – and McCoy, actually. And they stop in uh, the rec room, and there's Spock rocking out on the Vulcan harp. And they say, hey, you know, uh, you ever heard that idea about music uh, taming the savage beast? And he says, uh, no. And uh, well, they say, well, look, play, play some music, and let's pipe it into her room, and maybe that will help her to chill out. A couple of interesting little tidbits from that scene. Um, there's a line in which they compliment Spock on his ability to play the uh, the Vulcan harp, and he says that he came in second in a Vulcan harp playing contest. Who came in first? Well, it was his father, uh, Sarek. <laughs> so it's a good little scene and uh, some nice kind of classic uh, uh, Spock-McCoy interplay there. And it w- would have been another shot of the rec room. And as described in the script, a lot going on there, a lot of people. And in fact, we open the shot with a sunbather hanging out and then uh, pan over to Spock playing on the harp. So, uh, yeah, that is uh, kind of a, a cool thing that we had that much detail on a missing scene from this episode. You know, um, the, the fact mm-hmm. that he and Sarek actually competed against each other in things like a harp, yeah, uh, like a harp <laughs> contest. <laughs> right, yeah. It goes so much further to explaining his daddy issues. Oh, yeah. Because okay, he's sorry. got them. Yeah, I mean, exactly. he's got so many daddy issues. It's crazy, but to hear mm-hmm. that, like, it was like you know, yeah, I was pretty. Yeah, I'm pretty good. My dad's better. Yeah, <laughs> right. He got the medal. Right. You know? Yeah. In fact, he wasn't going to play. I told him that I was going to, and uh, and he learned it. And won, I was going to say, I, I I pictured Sarek never having picked up a Vulcan <laughs> harp before <laughs> until Spock <laughs> tries to to enter the contest. <laughs> Uh-huh. That's a nice idea. Yeah, that's what happened. Yeah, um, that'll be in my fan fiction. <laughs> It'll just constantly be that. Um, we have to mention uh, France Nguyen, who played Elan. She is half French, half Vietnamese. She was once married to Robert Culp. Uh, she did four episodes of I Spy. That's how they met, and uh, she was romantically linked at one point to Marlon Brando. Although she has some kind of choice words for Marlon Brando, if you uh, look up some more biographical detail on her, uh, she got her break in the 1958 film version of South Pacific. Fantastic movie. Um, she did a lot of TV and some genre films like Battle for the Planet of the Apes. Her later career was as a psychologist, and in fact. She was named Woman of the Year in 1989 in Los Angeles 
for her work with children. Uh, so she had a, a still has a very thriving career in that field uh, after stopping acting. We also have to mention Jay Robinson, the character actor who played Petri in this episode. Huge, huge career. Um, he played Caligula in The Robe in 1953. He did a lot of TV. And I know from reading our viewer feedback that I'm bound to leave out somebody's favorite. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I have to mention that some of my favorites, some of the interesting things that he did, uh, an episode of Buck Rogers in the 25th century, uh, Night Court, Tales from the Gold Monkey. Yes, he did Kolchak, uh, the Night Stalker. He was in that episode. And he played Dr. Shrinker in the Croft Super Show. Oh, wow. Sid Marty Croft Super Show. That was kind of rad. Um, he was in the, uh, the 1992 uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Uh, he played Mr. Hawkins. Uh, of course, that was the Francis Ford Coppola-directed version of Dracula. Um, and he even had a bit part in Big Top Pee-wee. Now, I, I do think you should also mention that he was in Kolchak, the Night Stalker. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. Uh, if I didn't mention it, he was uh, he was in one episode of Kolchak, the Night Stalker, which incidentally can starred Darren McGavin. Don't know if you knew that. Did it? Yes, it did. I, I, hadn't, <laughs> yes, it did. I, I had not heard that from lots of people. He is a prim and proper ambassador. She is a six inches from barbaric member of the royal family. Can these two crazy kids work out their differences in time to save a solar system? Let's find out. Prologue. The Enterprise is on a top-secret mission carrying Petri, an ambassador from the planet Troyes, to the planet Elas, another world in the same Telen system. The whole Telen area, by the way, just might have some unwelcome Klingon presence. Hold that thought. Upon arrival, Petri, along with Kirk and Spock, meet at the transporter room to welcome their guest. Preceded by a bunch of burly guards, then beams in Elan, a slight and exotic woman who is the most feared Dolan, or ruler, of Elas. Act 1. Elan is a bit bossy, not exactly winning over the crew with her charm. She demands to be taken to her quarters, and Kirk gets a lowdown from Petri. Elan is on her way to Troyes to marry their ruler in a hope to bring interplanetary peace between the two warring worlds. Petri says they'll need to drive slowly, though. Elan needs time to learn some manners before becoming queen of Troyes. Kirk agrees to Petri's request and gives the orders to travel at sublight. Lieutenant Uhura was kind enough to loan her quarters to Elan, and Kirk goes to check on her. What he finds is an epic tantrum. She's rejecting all the gifts Petri is using to ply her with, even a beautiful crystal necklace. Yeah, you're going to need to hold on to that thought, too. She's also breaking everything in Uhura's room. Kirk is playing it cool, trying to get the upper hand. Petri has had enough, and he's ready to call it a day. Kirk gives him the old do-your-job pep talk. After all, peace is more important than inconvenience. Spock is on the bridge, chasing a gas cloud in space. Well, it may be something else, something malevolent, but they don't have a good fix on it yet. In short time, Scotty calls for Kirk. The guests have appeared in engineering, something of a self-guided tour. And you know what happens when you start insulting Scotty's engines. Spock calls for Kirk at this point. They've got him running all over the ship. Looks like the anomaly is now definitely a Klingon ship. 
she's not doing anything, just hanging out, looking all menacing. As if Kirk doesn't have enough on his plate, he now gets a call to go to Elan's room, where he finds Petri face down with a knife in his back. Elan is all cool about it. Just get that guy off her floor, okay? Act 2. Petri is going to be okay. He's lost blood, but he has soured on his whole mission. He's just not going to help anymore. Kirk gets a message from Uhura that the Federation High Commissioner will be attending the wedding, which means this whole thing is a really, really big deal. Nurse Chapel is attending to Petri, and she's trying to figure out why men would fall for Elan or any woman from Elas, since she's such a bi- bitter and unpleasant woman to be around. Petri explains that it's all biology. The tears of an Elasian woman make any man who touches them fall hopelessly in love. Also, hold that thought. Kirk, in addition to his regular duties of running all over the ship and worrying about Klingons and high commissioners, now finds himself in the difficult position of having to play Henry Higgins all over her, Eliza Doolittle. He's going to teach Elan some manners while she is gruffly chowing down on some green chicken and drinking right out of the Saurian brandy bottle. He tries to teach her a thing or two about manners before calling out her immaturity. She slaps him. He slaps back. He heads for the door. She throws a knife. Good thing she missed. While Kirk is distracted by the Klingon menace, one of Elan's guards, Crichton, goes back to engineering. Dude just loves engines. Well, actually, he's there to sabotage the ship somehow. He messes with the dilithium crystals, and when he is caught by a crewman, that crewman finds himself dead. Good thing Scott, he must have been on a scotch break. Act 3. Kirk goes to Elan's quarters to find the door guarded. No problem. Spock was hiding in the corners, phaser in hand, and he stuns the two men through their bright orange body armor. Inside the cabin... Kirk is ready to have at it with Elan and the teaching of duty, manners, and courtesy. He even threatens to spank her, the spoiled brat. Elan hides in a side room, but then she seems to have a change of heart. She tells Kirk she doesn't know how to make people like her. And then the tears come. Remember what we learned about the tears of an Elasian woman? Well, Kirk doesn't, because he must have had his fingers in his ears when Petri was making that critical bit of trivia known. She cries, he wipes away the tears, then there's kissing and some very awkward chatter about spanking. Just another day at the office. Crichton is back in engineering, still messing with the gear and now using a communicator. Uhura and Spock pick up the signal. Looks like he was in contact with the Klingons. Elan is trying to get all lovey-dovey with Kirk, but he's off to engineering to find a stoic, unflinching Crichton. Kirk calls Spock for a mind meld, but before he can get there, Crichton kind of self-destructs with his little onboard nuclear device. Elan tells Kirk that Crichton was in love with her. She thinks he tried to damage the ship to prevent the marriage on Troyus. Kirk is trying to piece together what's happening, since this all seems to be a lot of trouble to just stop a marriage. He gives a little talk about duty, but she's hatching a plan to use the Enterprise to blow up Troyus. Kirk is not on board with that plan, but hey... They'll kiss on it anyway. Spock and McCoy are outside Elan's quarters this time and awkwardly buzzing the doorbell and then even more awkwardly opening the door to find Kirk and Elan in that kiss. McCoy explains to Kirk what's going on with the tears and Kirk says he's going to need an antidote. Just then, a message from the bridge relays that the Klingon ship is now heading toward the Enterprise at warp speed. Time to go to battle stations. On the bridge... Kirk is ready for battle, but before you can say Keanu, 
Scotty calls to see that the engines are rigged to blow up if they go to warp speed. Act 4. Kirk and Spock are onto the plan. The Klingons were trying to get the Enterprise to go to warp to make their destruction look like an accident. With the Federation out of the way, the Klingons could more easily take over the system. But why? Elan has made her way to the bridge, and Spock suggests that particularly now is not a good time. Kirk escorts her to a safer spot. Sickbay. On the way, Scotty calls to say that the entire dilithium array is burnt out. On the bridge, Kirk is informed that the Klingons are asking for the Enterprise to surrender and be boarded, or else. Down in sickbay, Dr. McCoy is trying but failing to come up with an antidote to Alan's love potion. Petri, now back on his feet and realizing that they are doomed, tries to make a last plea to Elan to accept one of the Trojan gifts, that crystal necklace. She relents because, hey, might as well look good in a battle. The only thing the Enterprise has going for it now is a little maneuverability and shields, not so much for speed. The battle begins, and the Enterprise takes a few hard hits, and who should be back on the bridge but Elan, now in her battle evening gown, come to see her man in a fight. But wait, those crystals on her neck that I asked you to remember? Well, to her, they might as well be quartz or cubic zirconia. To Kirk and Spock, hey, wait a minute— those are dilithium crystals, and this part of the galaxy is lousy with them. Now we know why the Klingons were so interested in this area. Spock runs off to engineering to have Scotty rig up the necklace to power the ship. Yeah, I said that. Kirk is stalling for time. Spock and Scotty are trying, but not sure this is going to work. Kirk waits for the very last moment as the Klingon ship approaches, and then Sulu floors it to create a little room couple of photon torpedoes disable the Klingon ship just enough to remove the threat. Elan is a little dismayed that they didn't completely finish them off, but now it's time to resume the mission to Troyes. In the transporter room, it's a somber goodbye as Elan gives Kirk a parting gift of her dagger, and they both speak to their obligations. A little time has passed, and McCoy thinks he has found an antidote, but Spock tells him that Kirk is back to himself. The only antidote he needed was the command of his ship. May I suggest that Pusher McCoy continue working on the antidote anyway? <laughs> because, you know, he will just come up and shoot that in Kirk's arm when he's good and ready. Yeah, he, well, he will. Not only that, but I mean, so here's the thing. Kirk's like, has to choose. He has to choose between Elan and the Enterprise. Mm -hmm. Well, she actually had a decent plan. <laughs> Not a good right. plan, but I mean, he could actually have Elan and the Enterprise... And if this is really like a lifelong addiction from her tears, yeah, let's go ahead and see if we can get him to kick that somehow. Yeah, because then every time he's got shore leave, he'll just want to go back to Troyes. Or every time they're like, uh, so, you know, just take the Enterprise out for a run, you know, put it through its paces, make sure everything's working. Yeah, I can do that. I can do that. Let's go to, uh, was it the Talon system? Yeah, no. <laughs> right. I yeah, just yeah. liked it. No, it's just an okay place. Yeah, no, it's, it's just a place. And you then know? The, guy from, the guy from Troyes is like, ah, your boyfriend is back and it's really making me uncomfortable. <laughs> just right. circling our planet with his photons and, you know, whatever. Hey, right. can I ask a question? Is yeah, there please. ever going to be a time, do we really have to wait for the movies before they remember that something has happened before? They're spending the whole time going, oh, there's something behind us and can't really see it and don't know, but it's kind of uh -huh. keeping pace with us and it's probably just gas. <laughs> you know, it could just be, right. It's maybe swamp gas. No, there are no swamps, but that seems as likely as it not being a Klingon ship trailing them. 
See yeah. also Balance of Terror when it was uh, the Romulan <laughs> ship doing that with the cloaking device and the whole. Uh. Mm-hmm. Now, they weren't actually mm-hmm. cloaked this time, were they? They were just far away. Uh, that's the impression that I got, but yeah, hey, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. It, it just seems like if you can spot a ship, you can spot a ship. You'd think yeah. so, wouldn't you? Oh, there's yeah. something back there. What is it? Well, I can't really see. Well, grab some binoculars, <laughs> why don't you? I mean, there ought to be a way right, right. if they're picking it up on sensors. Uh, well, that's the good know. thing. I mean, just as you know, you mentioned last week that we can always go to Shakespeare or the Bible when we have nothing else. We can always turn to a random Klingon attack just to liven things up. And we can always rely on the cloaking device to just make sure that we have no ideas coming. Yeah, if there was a cloaking device here. Now, I will say, I mean, you yeah. say it's a random Klingon attack. The Klingon attack actually makes perfect sense in this episode. The question that I have is, how does Elan know that these stones are common on Troyes. Because she's, mm-hmm. not, she's mm-hmm. not from there. I mean, right, unless they're right. just common all over the system, in which case uh, the Klingons are just being far too greedy at that point. But, I mean, we only know that these stones would be common, I don't know, maybe they actually are common on her planet, and then they were like a precious gift from Troyes. I don't know. There was something about that that didn't quite ring true. Well, that, I, as you say, powering a ship with a necklace. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I got the impression that that they were common everywhere. And maybe actually this was the, the origin of the breakdown between Elan uh, and Troyes, or Elas and Troyes, you know, fighting over the crystals. We, we like them for our necklaces. No, we like them for our spaceships. <laughs> well, no, nobody had, fig- nobody had figured out how to use them for spaceships yet, though. That's the thing. Uh, that's true. Yeah, they, they were on nuclear power, as yeah. we know. Yeah, they're like wearing them as jewelry, or, you know, they might be playing marbles with them back on. Yeah. Elon, 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 which also could have been a very long trip. They they seem resigned to the idea that the outer planet Troyes and the inner planet Elas are far away, and Kirk says they're traveling the impulse point three seven. No, 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 zero point zero seven. Point three seven. Yeah, point three seven. That's not nearly enough time to teach her how to use a fork. Oh my gosh! Yeah, zero long, long trip. It would be a yeah. long, would be a long way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now we that, know how long it would take to get from Earth to Mars, and that—that that is, you know, these are two planets next to each other. Yeah. I, now I will say, um, you, 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 teaching her to use a fork. You and I both had one note that was exactly the same. She's mm-hmm. awesome. She's oh, awesome in she's that scene. Great. Yeah. Yeah. She's not yeah. awesome up to then. Up to then, I thought <laughs> right. she was pretty cardboard. Up to then, I thought, and I almost wonder if there was. something changes halfway through this episode. Yeah. And I I won't get into what exactly my thinking is on it yet, but that's one of the things that happens. I mean, she goes from just being yell at the camera person to actually a character. Yeah. 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 And that is that moment where she becomes the character where she kind of like relaxes into the role and just sort of has fun with it. It's great. I don't know. It just seems very natural. And that's kind of a a thing about actors when they're eating on camera anyway, that it's kind of an actor trick to make yourself look more natural because it's more natural than sitting there having a conversation with somebody over dinner. (laughs) So do you think that's how France Nguyen actually ate? Uh, no, 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 no. But, but, but for the character, but the character is yes. that. All right. Yes. Uh, so it informs what she's up to. So yeah, I, I, I thought that was that was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah it worked out pretty well. Um, mm-hmm. I, I want to take our man uh, Montgomery Scott to task for a moment. 
Okay, go ahead. Uh, Kurt calls him and says, can you dismantle the bomb? And Scotty says, not without being blown halfway across the galaxy. I don't want to split hairs, but I think you're just blowing yourself up at that point. <laughs> right. I think the answer is no. I mean, you know, right? Yeah. And there's nobody left to tell the difference. That's, yeah. that's, that's true. What happened? Well, he dismantled the bomb. Oh. Well, no, he set it off. I don't think well, he actually sorry. did. Yeah, that's kind of, yeah. Oh, well. Yeah. And, and speaking of Scotty, though, uh, I don't know how the Enterprise is laid out exactly. And I don't know, you, you know, you never see anybody with like a uh, an access card to get anywhere or maybe like a key fob to get into a certain room. Um, I may have mentioned before that I'm a fanatic for ships. I love ships, and I'm the guy who will wander around ships until I know every inch of them. But still, even I have to accept that there are locked doors and places that I can't get to in any way because they're off limits. Like, let's say an engine room on, on a working ship. But people just wander around the Enterprise all the time. Lazarus, they're like, well, it's a big ship. He can be anywhere. And Elan's guards just have no problem. They're like, oh, you know, well, after dinner, what are we going to do? Let's just go to the part of the ship that runs the ship, shall we? Yeah, no problem with that at all. No security issues whatsoever. Spock has a good sense to say, hey, maybe the bridge is not the place to be during a battle. Can you get your girlfriend off of here? (laughs) You know? Speaking of the girlfriend thing, you know, it seems like the easy fix instead of having to teach manners would just be you show up at Troyes, you get a hold of Elan's tears, and then you give some of that to the ruler of Troyes. And then it just doesn't matter. She could keep being a terrible person, and it would only be uncomfortable for everybody around the ruler of Troyes. Well, it doesn't matter to, it doesn't matter to him at that point, but it matters to all the people. I've yeah. actually – I've become sort of a fan of um... – of 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 books and 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 television dramas about Queen Elizabeth lately. Oh, <laughs> yeah, her. yeah. Um, she was apparently supposed to be married to uh, the Prince of uh, of France. Uh, um, um, now I can't remember who the king was at that point, but his mm-hmm. brother, his younger brother, she was supposed to be married to, and uh, her council finally realized, yeah, we're never going to be able to sell this to the British people, and so mm. she ended up not being able to marry him. And you got you got kind of that same thing. I mean, she was actually okay with the guy from France. She actually, in fact, some accounts have her actually having been in love with him. Who knows for sure? Mm. Um, but then, uh, yeah, they were like, yeah, this is not going to fly with the people. So you're right. I mean, it would be fine as far yeah. as getting you know the guy from Troyes. But then all the Troyans uh, might not be on board. She'd just have to cry on everybody. And even right. then, it would only work on the men. You know, yeah, yeah. The women would still be walking around Troyes, going, I don't know what she, I don't know what they see in her. She, yeah, she's exactly. boorish. Be, be, be. She's awful. She's she's <laughs> she's mean to me. Yeah, but the guys just dig her. No, but just don't say anything to to her boyfriend, to her husband. Yeah, it, it would be really uncomfortable. But hey, I, I, we have to, Ken. We have to give a big warm welcome back to Enforcer Spock. I was really glad to see him on this because Kirk just rounds the corner. I can't negotiate with the guards. So he's ready. He's just like, Spock, you wait here and shoot. <laughs> Spock is ready to shoot. I love that. Glay came out of nowhere. And I was glad to see that back. Wow. Kirk making out with the hot female guest star. I'll bet viewers never saw that coming. Kirk and love, Ken. Do we buy it? Is it just the magic tears? Because here's the thing. She seems very calculated 
with the tears. But then the relationship kind of grows. And then at the end, they do depart on that somber note. But it's just kind of a cop-out because he was under the spell of a drug. Um, I don't know. I mean, she she does say a few times that she chose him. Mm -hmm. So she knows what's going to happen when she gets her tears on him. But she did choose to get her tears on him. And and it makes sense. I mean, he does say to the diplomat at one point, uh, Petri, he -hmm. does say to him, you know, she respects strength. Come with strength. Well, the only person who's, who's, you know, come at her with strength is Kirk. So it makes sense that she would be kind of into him. What I didn't buy was the whole, I don't know how to make people like me. Well, she would (laughs) cry on him. I mean, you actually do know how to make people like you. But then there was, there was, and you alluded to this, or we talked about this in the last segment. Something really wonderful happens halfway through this episode, and I can't tell you what it is. I almost want to say it was a different director or John Meredith Lucas just didn't care about the first half of the episode because there is (laughs) that scene. I mean, well, actually, it starts with the dinner scene with her because before that she had just been like this barking cardboard, you know, thing Mm -hmm. who becomes a character when she's eating. I mean, there is reality there, as you say. Maybe it's because of the whole actor's trick of eating on camera. I don't know. She becomes more of a real person at that point. Kirk is an idiot most of this episode. Well, for the first half of this episode, we're we're 25 minutes into this episode before um, the character of Captain Kirk leaves the screen and William Shatner, the actor, comes on screen. Mm-hmm. Up to this point, mm-hmm. he's just been blustery and you listen here, young lady. Right. And you listen here, diplomat. He's just been dumb the whole time. Yeah. And then in that scene where with her tears it would be very easy at that point what was the episode a few episodes back where he wink of an eye at the mm-hmm. oh my mm-hmm. god i remembered the name of an episode <laughs> good for you thank you good job yeah. wink of an eye you know yeah. where he does the whole puppy dog like oh, it, should i want to be any different okay that was shatner acting like an idiot right? right and intending to because he was you know trying to pull one over on her whatever yeah yeah it would have been very easy to direct shatner at this point to say Okay, well, now you're in love with her. So be sort of, you know, puppy doggy, but you know you should be doing something else. There was more nuance to his character here. There was a, there was a tremendous amount of something going on mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. So do I buy the idea that she, you know, really wanted people to like her? Eh, yes and no, maybe. But that felt like a, just like a tacked on kind of line. Maybe just something to disarm Kirk. Do I, yeah, buy, well, I, mean, do I buy the idea that he was in love with her? Uh, that the character Captain Kirk was, not necessarily, that may have just been the effect of the tears, but I so bought the acting. Yeah. I so yeah, right. bought Shatner, like, from that moment for the rest of the episode. And, and, and it, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was as if somebody, you know, crossed his acting circuit with his on-camera circuit and, you know, made those things work together. <laughs> right, Because right. they didn't for the first, and I literally checked the time, 24 minutes and 45 seconds. 24 oh, minutes and 45 seconds into this episode is when um, uh, Captain Kirk, the cardboard cutout, disappears and William Shatner, the actor, shows up. Nice. Nice. Yeah, good. I, it, well, and that's kind of the tough thing is that you have the, the contrivance of the tears. And I, and I thought in that moment, she played it as very calculated. She played yes. it as, okay, now, now cue the the sob story, literally, you know, that Mm -hmm. I'm crying because people don't like me so I can infect the captain. But everything from that point on kind of blooms 
for lack of a better word. And then by the time we get to the end of the episode, it's kind of that old Star Trek thing that we get back to where we can't have the captain really be in love with her. We have to have him stay on the Enterprise. Um, so he, here's our way to get out of it. it it's the drug. We have an antidote. Oh, but the captain found his own antidote. Um, for the same reason that, you know, you couldn't take Shayna back with him from the games of the Triskelion. <laughs> <Whatever. you know? laughs> I'm <laughs> or, not or sure that was the whole reason, right? Right. Well, yeah, yeah. But there, um, the multitude of reasons. Now go back um, to it. Go back to oh, which episode was it in the first season when he was talking about Rand? She's uh, always here, and man, do I like her. But you know what? I'm I'm already I'm I'm married. I'm married to the Enterprise. Yeah, right. That's the same right. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So uh, they. I struggled with it a little bit because it did just seem like here's the the situation du jour for them to find their way out of. But I thought it played very nicely. And if we buy the idea that even if that's what started the relationship, a real relationship came out of it. And mm-hmm. that's why I liked the ending. Because you know me, I like the, the ambiguous ending. So Well, uh, I mean, here's the thing. I don't know that a real relationship ever came out of it for Kirk, but I do, I mean, I do believe that Alan was in love with him. Now, I think mm-hmm. she falls in love a little quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. But, I mean, again, she did choose to to put him under her power because, you know, she liked him and she really wanted to be with him. And, and yeah. you know, she'd even thought about the future. <laughs> right, right. Here's how this is going to work. You destroy uh, my future husband and his entire planet. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, we can just hang out after that. Easy, yeah. easy. Be totally yeah. cool. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, I, I also, you know, I was thinking about the, the moment of Kirk deciding that he gets to issue orders to Elan. I don't get like, that. It, well, I mean, yeah, because, okay, he is in charge of the ship. And, and we've seen this before. Like, well, as long as you're on my ship, you're here under my rules. But, but really, what's his authority? He's there as the guy. <laughs> he, he, he's just he's the guy running the carpool right. at this point. All right, everybody, everybody, and we're going to Troyes. <laughs> you know, right? So if my really boss, no- if my boss calls for a cab for me, right? <laughs> right. And then my boss dies. The cabbie yeah. is not my boss at that point. <laughs> that, that is a good point, and yeah. that's kind of what happens here. Because yes, there was the the ambassador was supposed to be teaching her, and then mm-hmm. she stabs him in the back. Yeah, and so suddenly it's like Kirk. Yeah, yeah, it's me now. That's right. Yeah, the delight that he takes in doing that. I, I was trying to figure that out. When did his orders change from get her from point A to point B to get her from point A to point B and also teach her all of the customs of point B? And also, right. yeah. when did Kirk become the expert on Troyan customs? I, I know. <laughs> right. right. I mean, he's teaching her like human civility and assuming that yeah. that matches Troyan yeah. custom based on. Yeah. 10 minutes with Henry Gibson, right? Yeah. I'm sorry. The green guy reminded me of Henry Gibson a lot. And it's funny. He reminded me of Jonathan Harris a bit. I don't know from, Jonathan uh, Harris. Uh, Lost of Space, Dr. Smith. Oh, oh, yeah. He said that kind of just uh, erudite. And, exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. Erudite, but then also, you know, put upon and, yeah, mm-hmm. he mugged. Mm-hmm. He mugged a lot. <laughs> but he was fun. Kind of a, well, okay. <laughs> I'd rather have seen Henry Gibson. Yeah, well, man, who would? Because he could have done a poem right in the middle. He could have, right? A, a poem flower. Yeah. by the ambassador of Troyes. <laughs> uh, you've said many times before how, uh, and I forget exactly how you phrased it, but you know that that kind of uh, forcible power um, is a way to create but not maintain 
a civilization. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I really had to wonder if all the Elysians are to be represented by Elan, and could they really survive that long just being terrible to each other? You know, the, the bad table manners may be one thing, but you have to wonder, is she representative of what everybody on her planet is like? Because if I were on Troyes, I would say we really just want nothing to do with them. Yeah, well, the problem is, though, they both develop to a point where they can destroy each other. It's kind of interesting because there's mm-hmm. a there's very much a, um, what, Europe in the 1700s thing, not to, not to call back to Queen Elizabeth, mm-hmm. although that would have been 1600s, but there's very much mm-hmm. a, an old Europe of like, oh, are we going to really be at war forever? Tell you what we're going to do instead. Let's marry your cousin to my cousin. And then, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. we will be tied together that way. <laughs> you know? Yeah, which right. are, are we going to try that the next time? You know, the U.S. and then like China. It's like, wow, you know, we need to quit being jerks. You have a daughter, because <laughs> 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 we're to a point now. Once you get to the point where you can destroy each other, you know, with nuclear weapons, the way they were saying that both um, Elas and Troyes can. Mm-hmm. I, I really, I don't think you know. Oh, but my daughter's there, so I'm not going to blow up their planet. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Struck me as kind of an odd, kind of an odd thing. I feel like we have to talk about the the spanking scene, <laughs> and we have to talk about that in relation to kind of the overall maybe sexist undertones that undermine the story a little bit here. I, I, I'm going to kind of give it a pass in in some respects, but you're but what? The, uh, well, yeah. Hang on, hang uh, on. All right. So here's what's funny to me about the the spanking scene because the way those lines and for those of you who haven't watched the episode or picked it up from the the recap that we did there is not actually a scene where spanking occurs but Kirk says I'm going to give you a spanking then she turns on the waterworks he gets taken in they kiss and then she asks spanking what is this earth custom spanking (laughs) but here's the thing here's you, you watch that scene and through innocent eyes, you just go like, oh, well, he would never spank her to punish her now because they're kind of on the same side now because he fell in love with her because of the, the magic tears. But the way it's written in the script <laughs> is so devious. And I love that they got away with it. Yeah, it was nice. Yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was just hilarious. It was very nice. Me. Now, tell me, though, so it's because we can't not talk about the sexism and I'll be honest with you when the sure. sexism finally like you know it revealed itself 100% mm-hmm. it's like saying hey to an old friend I mean there's been so much stuff <laughs> that's been wrong you know in Star Trek that we haven't been able to put our finger on so much lately mm-hmm. most of the first half of the episode I don't think is sexist to be completely honest she happens to be a woman She's yeah. a boorish woman. She's a boorish, right. terrible, mean woman, right? Yeah. Which, again, could have been anybody. Could that, have been that, anybody. Those character traits could be anybody. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so, yeah. so at that point, it's not sexism. When she you know, says, take me back to, to Elas, right? Yeah. And Kirk refuses. I thought, oh, see, he's just being, he's being man, and she's a woman, and he's not going to listen to her. But then I remembered... He also ignored the orders of the Trojan ambassador, who, who the second he got thrown out the first time mm-hmm. of her place, um, who, he said, uh, you know, he said, he, I, I need to contact my government. This is not going to work. Kirk didn't listen to him either. So not sexism there. It's Kirk right. following Federation orders, right? Right. We don't hit the blatant sexism until Act 3, which, you know, 
when when he says to Spock um, that the women on your planet are logical, and that's the only planet in the galaxy that can make that claim. Single most groan-inducing line in the whole show. James yeah. D. Kirk, ladies and gentlemen, captain of the <laughs> right. Starship Enterprise, which has a number of women serving on it. And so you got to know it's truly amazing. I mean, this speaks to the power of the captain. It is truly amazing that they have not smashed the ship into some planet at this point because, you know, women on the Enterprise, lest they be mm-hmm. Vulcan, are logical. Uh, or illogical, rather. Vulcans mm-hmm. are the only ones who have the logical women, so how they haven't blown the whole thing up. Their chief communications officer, how she has not started a war with every race with which the Enterprise has come into contact <laughs> right. is unfathomable because, you know, women, they're kind of ditzy. Yeah. Am I yeah. right, girls? <laughs> By which yeah. I, of course, mean dames. Um, mm-hmm. it, and it was just, it was bad. I mean, that was a bad, 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 bad line. Um, that, that line hurts the whole show. That line. It, it, yeah. and, and yet, and honestly, I was so, it was almost like the time that, you know, uh, in the Omega Glory, when the flag comes out and you're like, I can't watch anymore. <laughs> right. I was right. almost ready to, because up to that point, I was like, this episode is kind of not good. This episode is kind of painful. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will say really quickly, uh, the logic by which Kirk knew that he would not be granted admittance to Alon's quarters because this is what actually sets up the line, right? Yeah. Spock's right. like, I don't, you know, well, you were certainly right that she wasn't going to let you into her quarters, but uh, you know, the logic by which you arrived at that, uh, I don't really understand. And that's when Kirk's like, eh, she's a woman and women are crazy, right? Um, uh-huh. Has Spock not been there any time that she's been there? I mean, because there is no way that that character, male or female, was going to let Kirk in again especially after kirk last time he was there it was all like you're a jerk and right. don't be right. a jerk and i'm gonna tell you that you're being a jerk and probably next time i come here i'm gonna tell you again well of course she he it whatever would not would not let kirk back in uh but kirk knew that she wouldn't let him back in because you know mm-hmm. dames yeah yeah no i that yeah, that that line is is terrible, and it's one of those that I try to sort of <laughs> excise from my mind as I piece together then what else I'm trying to get out of the show because yeah. it, it really does hurt it. You know, the other things that I found, <laughs> it really the other does things that hurt I, it. The things that I found that that were maybe bigger picture kind of detrimental to uh, to to the story here and to its treatment of the characters. I mean, it, it, she's she's terrible. She's boorish. She's all these things. And then she turns on the tears, but Kirk then seduces her. Then she does whatever he asks, you know? So there, there's something about that relationship that, again, you, you know, like, well, she knows about the tears. She knows the, the psychology at play here. So I, I found that to be, as you said, it happens a little too fast for you to really swallow it. Uh, it was just sort of like, well, now, now that they're in love, she'll just do whatever Kirk says, whether it's going to sickbay or not blowing up Troyes or wh- whatever the case may be. Yeah. Um, but there's this other thing in there that we hit on a little bit that, that's this sort of like cultural imperialism, this, this superiority of Kirk, the great white hope. You know, I'm going to teach you how to use a fork and you're going to like it. Because that's the way we do things on my planet. You know, the, the, that little thing in there is <laughs> and, a bit... Uh, and let's just hope that's actually how they do it on Troyes. Yeah, yeah right. That, you that don't was, know. Yeah, I mean, there's, uh, his imperialism is kind of insane, but especially when it's not even about, you know, bringing her into the Federation. It's just about getting her to 
some other planet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's going to show up and uh, sit down to dinner and pick up her fork, and they're going to be like, oh, Miss Hoity Toity, I guess they use forks on Elas. <laughs> right. Somewhere in their Federation charter, there's about only allowing people then who can use a fork. Exactly. But we don't know if that applies. Right, because uh, these guys aren't even in the Federation. Well, it is under Federation control, but are they members of the Federation? I didn't get the impression that they were, no. Yeah, I thought yeah. that this was kind of uh, uh, a political football, as it were. Yes, know? another one of those, uh, a private little piece. <laughs> right. There. Right, right. right. Between the, uh, the great chasm between uh, the Federation and the Klingons is predicated on this wildly improbable marriage. But – That kind of brought me to the idea, though, of do we, as a way of diplomacy, and maybe this goes back to the Elatians being terrible at diplomacy, kind of capitulate every now and then our our traditions and our customs for the benefit of others. You know, Elan has to be in control of her people on her planet to some degree. She can't just be awful to everybody because then there would be no leadership. Uh, at a certain point. Um, I, I, I love the idea here that Elan has that line that she eliminated, referring to Petri. I, I eliminated the problem. Kirk says, no, you eliminated the teacher. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't eliminate the problem. I thought that was right. a, just a golden line. And, and it's a good metaphor for all kinds of problem solving <laughs> that we do poorly. Um, but I did think like, well, do you remember the old... Uh, there was a Saturday Night Live a parody commercial in the 70s. Become a U.S. ambassador. We'll teach you all these things. And like in every language, we'll teach you how to say, please pass the sweet and sour shrimp. You know, because that was the most important thing is being at dinner and being able to put on a, a, a convincing act for your guests <laughs> that you're having a good time. So uh, there may be a little truth to what Petri and Kirk are trying to do. Uh, but it, it's, yeah, it's a little painful. There's a watch. tremendous amount of truth to what they're doing. I mean, if you are, are yeah. you asking if we do that or are you asking if we should do that? I'm asking to the extent we should do that. You know, we, we, we should do that to, I think a great extent to oh. make people comfortable in, in this kind of diplomatic situation, you know, but obviously forcing this on somebody who is uh, probably not, going to take to it well um, and, and doing it from at least from Kirk's perspective which is not a Trojan perspective is is really kind of awful in, in many respects. The issue that I the thing that uh, when you ask whether we should or to what extent we do that I mean you're only talking about like somebody being nice to somebody right I, mm. I, I think in terms of uh, and forgive me I say forgive me <laughs> I know I I know very little uh, I, uh, I think of China. This is so terrible. I think of China and I think of the US and I think of our relations between uh, the relations between the US and China. The people in mm. China are treated fairly poorly by their government, but we have a lot of stuff that we want to sell plus we have a lot of stuff that we want to buy. And and the great way for the West to to sell a lot of stuff into China is to not really worry about how the Chinese people are being treated by their government. We just go ahead and play nice with their government so that we can, you know, because there's like a billion people waiting to buy gum, 
you know, right, and phones right. and, and, and Kentucky Fried Chicken. I mean, all yeah. kinds of things that we could keep selling here in the States. But the problem is there's a billion people there who'd buy it, right? And yeah. at the same time, it's kind of cool that a television doesn't cost $1,000. I mean, a great, great, great big television costs $1,000. But like a regular television that, you know, humans would buy costs mm-hmm. well under $1,000. And that, again, has to do with how cheaply stuff can be made in China and how easily we can get that. So, I mean, you ask how, like, to what lengths we'll go, we'll go pretty far. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. if you're talking about being nice to yeah. one person at dinner, I mean, we, we actually currently, and one would hope 300 years into the future, that we wouldn't quite be, you know, those people anymore. But as it stands today, right. yeah, diplomacy is awesome. If we can have, you know, the leader of these people and the leader of these people look like everything's cool. Yeah, we'll, 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 we'll go a decent way to, to, to make things look nice, it seems. With our guests off to Troyes, time to find out what messages, morals, and meanings they left behind. Also, we should check their rooms in case they dropped any extra dilithium crystals. We are given to understand that the effects of the tears of a woman from Elas will last forever. They, of course, would stand the test of time. The question is the story about the woman from Elas, Elan of Troyes. Does it stand the test of time? I put the question to you, Mr. Champion, and please, gloves are off. Don't be diplomatic. <laughs> uh I think the story holds up actually because it is a story that has already held up. You know, I, I mentioned the inspirations uh, being uh, Taming of the Shrew, a bit of Helen of Troy in there, you know, a lot of kind of classical literature formed together to make this episode. One of the problems with this episode. Um, we, we get into season three and the story editing isn't quite there the way it was before. Mm-hmm. The budgets aren't there the way they were before. So really what we have to do is we just have to look at the good moments from this episode rather than the story overall. And even if I try to block out the things like the sexism, the weird kind of cultural imperialism, the, the, these kind of strange things – I have to say that it's an episode that doesn't really hold up that well, but but I was still entertained by it. Yeah. Um, and, and it fits kind of in the middle to lower middle of my consideration of Star Trek overall. And this may be because we've we've really had some some landmines in <laughs> you know parts of season two and season three. Um, so I, I wasn't horrified by it. It was kind of fun to pick it apart and look at the things that don't work. But then there are the moments that do work. Like you said, Shatner being the actor and not being the caricature. Yeah. And getting to see their relationship evolve a little over time would have been better had maybe that gone through some edits to really work. Um, and, and I think that the story kind of all ties together very neatly. There's not a lot of extraneous stuff you know when we meet the ambassador uh from troyes we meet him for a reason that leads into elan elan leads into 
the guards and their subterfuge. When we meet the Klingons, that leads into the reason that we're there. It all kind of works very nicely. But if I use the standard that we've sometimes used before, is this the episode you would show somebody to get them into Star Trek? No, not by a long shot. <laughs> you yeah. know? How about you, my man? Um, I think the only thing that I wish was different as far as their relationship, I wish they had just, you know, I wish she had shown an interest in her before she turns on that dime. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, this is not an important episode, although there is one thing actually that happens that I meant to mention earlier. Um, you mentioned it when, you know, so, uh, Spock and McCoy are buzzing at the door and they want yeah. Kirk to come out. Going on your idea that they are three parts of one personality in a way, you know, with the ethos, pathos, logos thing, uh, he is all passion at that point, right? He is, he is, he is lost logic at that point. And there is actually something really neat about, I mean, if we, if we assume that that image that we've been using since we've been doing TOS is actually a thing, there is something fantastic about them standing at a door. They're almost like vampires. They can't come in. They can't go at that point. They can't go to where he is and pull him out. Yeah. They have to appeal to him logically and, you know, logic being mostly gone for him. So they're, they're like, they're like the two rational parts of his brain standing outside going, dude, we really need to back away. We need to back (laughs) away from this. That's a neat moment. Um, and, and certainly the second half of this episode, I think the second half of this episode is really great. I wish the first half of the episode didn't happen. (laughs) I wish it was just a little bit better because this could actually be one of the episodes. You see a conflicted Captain Kirk Mm -hmm. and, and he really is conflicted. I mean, there is a, there's a moment, there is confusion on his face while he is on the bridge and she is there because what he wants more than anything is to be with her. And you know, okay, what caused that? Right. But you get that conflict in, in Captain Kirk at that point in William Shatner's performance. Which is fantastic. You've got the standoff with the Klingons. I mean, there's so much here that should be a great episode. It's a great half an episode. I don't know that the second half honestly saves the first half. The second half is wonderful. It doesn't, it doesn't make the whole episode fantastic though. I mean, the second half is fantastic. Pick up an act three. (laughs) That would honestly be because the, Oh, the second half of this episode, I think is just tremendous. Mm -hmm. Um, and and sadly, it, it takes a tremendous effort to get to it. Yeah, it just it, it could have used the story editor. Um, yeah. and, and by this time, we have a lot less influence, obviously from Gene Roddenberry, uh, but also from DC Fontana or um, even Bob Justman at that point. You know, you you kind of start to feel what that that magic combination of early. Star Trek. Um, and, and even though early Star Trek had some, some clunkers in there, you just sort of know that if this had had one or two more passes, maybe it would have been right. Um, but let's talk about what we learned. What did we learn from this episode, Ken? What, what are the messages, the morals, meanings that we can possibly take away from this? Well, women are crazy. Well, that, that's yeah, boy. They kind of hit you over the head with that. Unfortunately, <laughs> kind of did, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm I'm at a loss, honestly. I think there's some good character study here. I think it's a great acting performance on Shatner's part. I'm not picking up messages on this, honestly. Unless it's, I mean, unless you, I mean, unless they're so basic, you know, like the eat with a fork, be nice to people. <laughs> I mean, you know, I don't, I don't, 
I don't know. I mean, the, the, the good parts about this dazzled, the bad parts about it shamed, and maybe I was so caught between those two that I missed message. If you saw one that you would like to share, please bring it. Well, yeah, I agree. It's not so much about a message like saying, hey, kids, remember, duty is more important than your relationships or than Oh, that was, that was a message in it, wasn't it? Well, see, here's the thing. I don't think it was necessarily the <laughs> message. I think it was a message from this storyline. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, no, it's I know. not like, yeah, yeah. It, 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 it's saying that here we're going to have a look at a situation where we talk about obligation, the the maturity of doing what is required of us. Right. Um, and in this situation, it is most important that Kirk stays where he is and as the captain of the Enterprise. It's most important that Alan goes to Troyes and marries this guy so there can be peace. All, all these things are clearly defined as being uh, uh, the best moral and ethical choice for the people on the Enterprise. Now, does that mean that that is always the best choice? Not necessarily i you know i mean i i don't think we're, we're trying to make a, a a black and white statement with this i think we're just sort of exploring the idea what happens when you push a guy like kirk when you make him uh be a participant in this relationship uh, even if there is a sort of chemical biological element to it that was against his will what happens when you push this guy far enough? How does he snap back out and become the captain that he really would prefer to be? Or how do you take somebody like Elan, who is kind of terrible in many respects, and get her to realize the, the greater potential that she has if she follows her duty? So that's what I mean by that. The, the ideas are there, um, but I, I don't think we're making a blanket statement with any of those ideas. Fair enough. I, I think we should also, uh, maybe from here on out, get used to the idea that uh, Starfleet has uh, clandestine orders, that there are some you know, backroom machinations designed solely to outpace the Klingons that Starship captains know nothing about. <laughs> you know, here you go, guys. Do this, do this trip where you're the taxi driver and uh, let us know what happens later. Yeah, it was actually interesting I thought once I found out the Federation commander or whatever he is was coming to the wedding. Plus, there's mm -hmm. already an ambassador there. There's really just not there's not a planet big enough for that level of. And then it yeah. was a, and then it was a curse word in my notes. Honestly, <laughs> um, yeah, it's yeah, it's the clandestine thing. It was interesting actually watching Kirk, you know, badmouth. The Federation, <laughs> right? To right. his underlings, he's like, eh, some pencil pushing jerk is has this idea, stupid, dumb. <laughs> we hate the chain of command. Oh, <laughs> Scott, yeah. Scotty, hit that button for me, okay? Right. <laughs> it's kind of fascinating. Kind exactly. of fascinating. Next week, very happy to say, another episode of Mission Log, still in season three of the original series. It is whom gods destroy. Some of the music for the mission log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com.
This episode brought to you by Ambassador Petri's Green Chicken. Tentacle looking good since the 23rd century. And transmission. Now leaving Nerdist.com.